Let's pray. Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we know that you heard from heaven. We know that even more than just hearing from heaven, you can look down, you can see into the hearts of every one of us. Lord, we're, we're kind of small, one by one, and yet we're all here together, each one holding up our candle. And Lord, we love your kingdom. The kingdom of this world, it has its shiny objects. But Lord, they're nothing compared to that joy surpassing all of our imagination that we have. Just beyond anything. And we know that. And we don't know what it's going to be like. We try to imagine, and yet beyond anything we can imagine is the reality. Oh, Lord, open our eyes that we might see Jesus. And Lord, by now, I know we're just kind of going by faith. We know somehow deep in our hearts it's all true. And yet we just, there's still kind of a veil. And the veil hasn't been fully pulled aside yet. We see more than in the past. And, and it's like, like glory upon glory, we see more and more. Still more to come. Still more to come. And yet, we're in the last days. We understand that. Oh, Father, you speak today into the hearts of each person. Lord, I don't need a translator for some other language, but Lord, you be the translator. Holy Spirit, between my lips and the ears of the people. Lord, if I don't get it all right, you get it right by their ears. But Lord, I'll do my best. Will you work through me, Father? I pray in Jesus' name. I had pretty high expectations when I came. I didn't know how many of you would know. I would know. I kind of live out of the country and I kind of don't get to know people like I wish I did. I wondered what, what it might look like when I got here. And there's something that happened as, as I looked at you. I had a lot of hope and, and my hope was realized. But then something more happened. I kind of, there's this thing that was going on inside me. I, what in the world is this thing that's going on inside my heart? And it was hope. I was surprised by hope. As we were out there yesterday, and I, my heart's toward evangelism. And some of you who have known me for a lot of years would probably look at, would have looked at me and said, Mark, you know, log cabin with a red front door in the Brooks Ranch, he'd probably be happy. He'll probably write books or something, but evangelism, a missionary, he's just not really naturally that way, which is probably true. It's not really natural for me. To go out on the streets and talk to people like that, it's not natural. It's something supernatural that I can do it at all. You really probably don't realize how true that is. And yet there's something, the fear is gone. There isn't fear there. Because love has melted it away. But as I look out there and I see you talking to people, I see your courage. I talked to a couple people and I just mentioned, I said, you know, it takes quite a bit of courage for them to stand up there and do that. And they said, I know. I know it does. And there was something again, it was like, what is this burning thing inside of me that's going on? Oh, it's hope I never even imagined. I didn't expect this much hope. Surprised by hope. I wonder what it's going to be like when we see the King in all of His glory. When He's the Lord of all that we are and Lord of what we are. And, and we realize the, the reality of that. And we see the splendor of heaven. When all this comes to pass, the King is coming. We have our hope and our expectations and we try to imagine. But when that reality comes... I think we're going to be surprised by hope. You're going to say, what is this thing inside of me? I never expected this kind of hope before. I hope you come away from this camp surprised by hope. I hope you'll go home and won't lose that. It's going to burn down deep inside of your heart because there's hope. The groom really is coming. He really is coming. The father's going to say, Son, go get your bride. 
You are the object of his devotion, of his love. You're the one that he's been waiting for for 2,000 years now. What do you think is in his heart? What do you think is going on? What kind of burning passion do you think is in his eye as he looks down upon those whom he loves? You're that bride. He's coming for a pure bride. And He's told us. He's, the Father has said, Son, the time is coming very soon. Son, go get your bride. On one hand, He says this. On the other hand, He says, Daughter, that is the bride. Daughter, you go out to the nations and gather people. Go out and gather. The church is a gathering. A gathering people. And he says, go. And whatever going means for you, it's going to have something to do with all nations. And that might not mean that you're going to Africa or Antarctica or some, I don't know, Liechtenstein. Or, it, it might not mean that. What it might mean is that like uh, about a week ago or so, I was with two men whose longing passion their whole life had been to be missionaries. Neither got to be missionaries. One of them spent his life, has invested his life. They're both older men now. And one of them preparing, preparing, preparing missionaries to go out. His heart longing was to go. I never got to. But he's invested his life preparing missionaries to go out. Another man said he never got to go out, but he devoted his life to praying for missionaries. And I'll tell you what... We need that prayer. If there's one thing I could cry out for, it's for the prayers of, of the bride. You know, one of the things missionaries sometimes do is go around and raise funds, raise support. But there's something that many missionaries do. I didn't know this till I got on the field, on the field and I was naive, and I, I regret that. But many missionaries are required to get at least 200-person prayer base before they ever go out on the field. And we have friends who says, I wouldn't do it with 200. We're doubling it. We're going for 400. 400 people. And I don't mean people saying, yeah, we'll pray for you. I mean people who are committing and putting it on their, time, on their day timer and saying, these are the days, these are the times when you have special needs. If it takes a day off work, I'm committed to it. That's what I'll do. 400 people per missionary. What kind of a difference do you think that will make? Yesterday, I was talking to some Chinese girls, as you, some of you probably noticed, and I was talking, it was just kind of light and fluffy, wasn't going anywhere, and, and my hope was kind of, I don't know, did you, could, you probably know what I'm talking about. The hope of something happening just wasn't happening, and it's like, you just feel this sinking, like, well, do I give up and go to somebody else, or maybe I'm no good at this, or I don't know. The diminishing hope was going on. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody lit a torch, and the whole thing turned around, and all of a sudden, they were engaged, and I felt connected, and it was going to the gospel. And we went through the whole gospel. And do you know what occurred to me? I felt the moment it happened. It really was like a blowtorch going on. And I knew in my heart, I even glanced up to look around, somebody out there, maybe some people had just burst into prayer. You know what? I'm not good at it. It's not my gift. It's not my skill. It's got to be of God. But God has designed it such that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. My plea to you is be a praying people. Be praying. He's coming for a pure bride. Can you see the set of his jaw? Can you imagine what's in his heart? If you, like the disciple whom Jesus loved, was leaning on his heart, what would it sound like? About 140 beats per minute? I don't know. I remember when I saw my bride coming down. Coming, actually, we walked up together. She came up, but when I first laid eyes on her, it was like, gasp. I was surprised by hope. And... Sometimes there's a little tension, I know, between the bride and groom. You know, there is between the church and Christ. We don't always get it right. And the last minute, we're wiping the spots off and, and white, you know, cleaning out the wrinkles or whatever. 
there was a little tension between us that day. It was a funny thing, but we kind of had an agreement that I would see her first in her wedding dress, and then somebody burst in to get some chairs, and somebody else saw her in a wedding dress. And you, I, this is sad. We're walking up the aisle with a little bit of tension between us. <laughs> <laughs> but then she said, I do. And it all oh, melted away. Talk about surprise by hope. <sighs> and that's where we are. That's this thing that Brother Norm was talking about. This joining together. This communion. And we're right on the cusp of it. It's like that moment on the diving board when I'm going over and I can't go back. <laughs> and that's where we are. This is the last days. Where, what's in the bride's heart? I know what was in my heart as a groom. What's in the bride's heart? We should ask Judy. But here's some things that might be in the heart of the bride of the church. I'll just share this with you. She's ready. Matthew 24, 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. He's coming as a thief in the night, so be ready. She's steady, James 5.8. Be also patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Be steady. Continue in Him, 1 John 2.28. Continue in Him so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him as at His coming. We're ready. The mikveh is accomplished. The lamps are lit. The dress is on. There's peace in our hearts. There's nothing but excitement because the groom is coming. We're holy. Revelations 19, 7 and 8. The wedding of the Lamb has come as bride has made herself ready. Fine line, uh, linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Um, I, I prefer just to leave it up there if that's okay. It, yeah, and we'll just, poor Judy will just have to you know, compact it up there. I just like those words, but thank you, Russ. I appreciate that. Titus chapter 2, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. Surprised by hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What? Uh, Titus 2, 12 and 13. 1 John, I better slow down for my wife here. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. But we know when He appears, we shall be like Him, clean and pure. Everyone who has this hope, surprised by hope, purifies himself. You have that hope? And if you have that hope, if you think on that hope, there's something well up inside you like, where did that bonfire come from? Yeah. Joyful. The bride is joyful. That's what she's got in her heart. Luke 21, 28. When these things take place, begin to take place. That's where we are. I mean, oh, falling off the diving board. Stand up. I think the King James says, look up. Same idea. Actually, the, the term um, anakupta is a little bit ambiguous there. So some versions have look up, have some stand up. And if the denotation is a little bit ambiguous, the connotation is probably deliberate. I would just throw that out grammatically. And that is that maybe both are implied. Okay? Stand up, look up, because your redemption is drawing nigh. The bride is feeling a sense of faithfulness in there. I mean, there's the groom, and there's no other man has her eye. She's all done with suitors. It's all about one. Matthew 24, 45, Who then is a faithful, wise servant when the master has put in, whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I'll tell you, when the groom comes, he wants faithful. He wants to know you belong to Him with all of your heart and mind and soul and no other, no other master, no other Lord. Wouldn't you young men want that for your bride someday? 
Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Imagine, that's like, that's kind of more like off into the diving board, into the water. Well done. Can you imagine what you're going to feel like? I mean, there's joy, there's, there's hope that everything's beyond anything you imagine, surprised by hope, and here it is. Well done, good and faithful servant. You hear God say that. It's good to hear your mom or your dad say that. But God to say that? I mean, I want that more than anything. I want to hear him say that. She's been busy, the bride has. She's been working. She's been taking care of the, she's, uh, the sick and the downcast, the heavy laden. She's been taking care of the widows and the orphans and the hungry and the poor. Bear ye one another's burdens. I'm that's in James one, James one twenty seven. Bear ye one another's burdens. Oh, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's the heart of God and His law, and that's how you fulfill His heart, is by bearing one another's burdens. Galatians six two, and in bearing one another's burdens, that's exactly what I felt somebody in this room doing, some people in this room doing, whom we were talking, and that made all the difference. And I. Don't know who. Maybe it was everybody. I don't know. Thank you. Witnessing. She is witnessing. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony. And then the end will come. This is the end. And you know what? There, I think we're in the very last, the cusp of the last days and the last times. But there's one little doubt I have about that. And that is there's still people who haven't heard. And I don't know how all that works out eschatologically, looking toward the future the way God sees it. When is time going to be no more? Will, are there still a lot of people who've never heard the name of Jesus? We run into them. They're still out there. So, is it not quite yet? I'm not sure that it couldn't happen right now. I don't know. I don't know. But if it's not quite yet, there's something in me that's just sick. It's almost like trying to watch a crucifixion to think of the lost out there. If there's still a little seed of hope that they could be saved. The church, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. The church is a living organism. It's made up of many parts all working together. And there is an expression of that. And I want to capture this because, again, I'm trying to capture what is the bride. And there's just a few points I'd like to make here. One is that the bride expresses the meaning of the Word. Now, I know we see in John that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The message there is the incarnation of Christ. What happens in believers is a different but related and similar kind of thing. And that is that the breath of God enters us and gives us life. We eat food. We eat a sandwich or you know some peanuts or whatever we eat. That becomes our flesh. As a man thinketh so in his heart, so is he. What you think, what we take into us becomes who and what we are. What I choose to do with my life is a result of the things that I've taken in, the literature I read, the movies I watch, the music I listen to, the people I talk to, the experiences of life that I've had. All those things make me who and, and what I am. And I'd like to share this with you that the Word is God's narrative. It's a doing story for your life. God has a narrative for your life. And there's something He wants to take you to take into your life, inside of you, to become your flesh that expresses His desire, His will for your life. I think that's at least in part the meaning of communion. But let me just say this concisely. And that is, in your life, you are taking this Word into your life. And it's becoming flesh in your feet, and your mouth, and your hands. There's something real going on there. Just like there's something... I know it's, we, we speak of a sacrament, an external symbol of something internal that isn't just an idea, it's practical. 
It's real. And there's something that goes on there that really does become who and what we are. Just like when we eat food, it becomes this actual physical body and makes us, enables us to do what we do. But here's the thing I want. Either the Word is in you becoming flesh or the world is in you becoming flesh. The church is an expression of the meaning of baptism. Baptism does not cause salvation. It's part of a package, part of obedience. It's something God commands. There's much more going on, I think, in this thing of baptism than just getting dunked in water or joining the church. Or There's a lot of things. But here's, here's what I'd like to offer for you. That it, there's some... The, how do I say this? The background, the background for baptism is Easter. What I mean by that is, it's about dying to sin. I don't mean an ideology of dying to sin. I mean reckoning ourselves to be dead and indeed into sin and alive unto Jesus Christ. Really dead to sin. So that the old historic example I remember someone making one time is you could take a dead man and you could prop him up against a dumpster and offer him a cigarette and would he take it? No, because he's dead. It just isn't his desire. You know, he's dead to it. And and come, but the Easter message, this is the Easter event, coming alive with Jesus Christ. Coming alive with Him. And then, number three, living with God. The answer of a clean conscience, I think Peter would describe it as. The meaning of baptism. The meaning of prayer. Prayer isn't just this, it, the church is part of the expression of something here. I hope you're capturing here. I'm not talking about reading the Bible or baptism or prayer. I'm talking about the expression of these things that exist because the church exists. In prayer, it's not some sort of mystical speaking into, into the air. It's not, it's not approaching a faceless bureaucrat hoping you can convince him against his will to do something good for you. It's not a good luck charm to increase your chances of, of things going well. Somehow there's something, I think, in prayer. It begins maybe when we look at the stars at night and we see the snow-capped mountains and there's something that happens deep inside of our heart. There's a communion, a communion that goes on. It's the Holy Spirit within our hearts and there's something that really, really joins together. And in a measure, marriage is like that. Judy and I can be in a grocery store and she can catch my eye and we can like be a whole aisle apart, we can hold on a whole conversation, just little quick glances at each other, you know, there's, because there's a connection between us and our hearts, there's a sort of oneness there, and that's, it can be far greater with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, the power of the Almighty God within us, there's a communion that goes on there, prayer is not just a discipline, it's a communion, it's something that binds us together, and so we pray together. I wish I could talk about that. I won't. The church is the expression of the meaning of love. Love is not our duty. Love isn't something you can... I can't just make myself love her. It's a choice. It's the act of the will. Those things are true. But there's something more. I would, I would suggest this. Love for the Christian is their destiny. It's the thing that will happen in you when you abide in Christ. And that's the thing. If I'm having a struggle loving my brother or my sister or my wife or something, draw near to the heart of God and poured through you will be this love to others. That's something to do with the expression and the meaning and us together as a church. I'm probably going too fast, but I hope you're getting my heart here. And so I think maybe to tie this part together, I want to talk about the meaning of communion. Communion has significance in the past, in the present, and in the future. 1 Corinthians 11.26 Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We're going to have communion until He comes because it's something forward-looking, but it's something that God says, I want to happen among you. 
It's just probably a shadow. The fullness of it isn't revealed. The revealed will be the consummation of the marriage in heaven when the bride meets the groom and there's the reality of communion. It's not just going to be the shadow against the wall that we see now. And we look at communion and we say, well, it's things past and present to come and we make meaning of it and that's all good and it's very deeply moving to us. But there's something that's going to happen. The reality of it's going to be there. I can't wait. Imagine what it's going to be like. The hope that we'll have then. It's like hope fulfilled. Realize hope is like something anticipating the future. But I think there's going to be something. It's going to be like the hope is going to be like the veils removed. And hope all of a sudden we see what this thing really is that was hoped for. That is hope. What a beautiful, glorious revelation. And sometimes, just a little bit, like when I see you out on the streets, I'm so surprised by that hope, that bonfire, that where did this thing come from that's inside me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.27 Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Take it very seriously. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Recognizing the body of the Lord. In one hand, we see Him on the cross. and in another hand, I see souls sitting around a table. And I'm thinking, what's going on here, Lord, that You want me to see? When we break the bread, it becomes who we are. It's a symbol of Jesus Christ. Something about this broken body become going inside of us. The blood going inside of us becomes who and what we are. And all of a sudden, there's an expression of Christ born through us. And in that way, we are image bearers of God Himself. My hands are going to touch in loving ways, in pure ways. My ears will long only for those things that the heart of God longs for. My mouth will only speak those words. The emotions of my heart, what my, where I set my emotions upon, what I allow to come into, will be only those things that God wants in my heart. And that's accomplished through communion. Through communion. I know we have the bread and the cup and and the love feast and some of these things and those are symbols and they're so true and good and worthy, but there's something deeper going on there. It's this unity, this coming together. It's being one. St. John 17, Jesus is pouring out His heart before He's going to the cross. and He's saying that they may be one in Me as as He is with the Father. I'm not sure what he's saying there, but there's something that leaves me breathless and almost afraid to look on it. I'm not sure what he means, but I get this much. He wants us holy. He wants us pure. He wants us right there against his heart, here in his heartbeat, feeling his breath, the breath of the Holy Spirit, if you will, against us, and living, living, living at that place. And nothing else can draw us away or entice us. The meaning of communion and the bread, the symbol of the unity of his body, the cup, the cup of the covenant, the cup poured out, his blood poured out, and we accept that cup. In Luke twenty two nineteen, the cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. His blood poured out for you. I have a request. I'm going to go on. I'm not going to stop, but I'm going to ask for a, a volunteer here for just a moment. I'd like for you sisters to, to do this, if you will. Judy, this cup might bear a little cleaning. I think. <clears throat> and here's what I want you to do when Judy gets back. I want to just pour a little bit of that grape juice that we have in there. Because Jesus said, divide this among yourselves. And then I'm going to ask one of you volunteer, you can think about it if God puts it in your heart. I'll pour this out for my sister. And then I'd like another sister, a volunteer. And I'm not going to 
appoint you. Maybe just see what's in your heart. You can think about it among yourselves. And I want, of you, want one of you to take that cup and drink it. And I want you to do it as a symbol of this. Taking the blood of Jesus Christ within us. Realizing our sins, my reality, my face is in that cup. My reflection is there. And the blood of Jesus Christ. And to take that and to drink it. And to drink all of it. When David took the cup the other day, he drank it. And he drank it, and he checked, and he made sure he got a little bit more. And I said, all of it. And he checked, and he got a little bit more. He drank it all. He drank it all. And there's another one of those scriptures, drink ye all of it. And I know some translations will say, all of you drink it. Again, I think we have one of the cases where, thank you, Judy, where the denotation may be deliberately ambiguous. It may be that the connotation in that case, it also is that, it's all of you. Drink all of it. That's a possibility from that grammar, I think. Do I have a sister who's willing to serve her sister? I'd like you just to pour the cup, however full you think. And I'd like for another sister to come up and drink it. Please come up, Claire. a little bit strong. I don't want you to be overly surprised. But. <laughs> and so they can see you. Drink it all. Be a witness that you drink it all. Can you turn and face them? Thank you for that powerful message and symbol, you can sit down. You drank it all. And that's for all of us. That's just an example, an illustration in front of a group of what I think is the meaning of, of this. Divide this cup among yourselves. Take it. But the important thing here is that it becomes who and what you are. That juice went down inside your body. It's going to become your prayer. It's going to become the hand that reaches out to feed the poor. It's going to be the feet that carry the tidings, the good tidings of good news to I don't know where. Maybe Africa. Maybe your mother or father. And if you want to be missionaries and you want to go, I would repeat the words that Sam has said. Go to your parents. Make them the first object of your missionary work. Bless them. Just a little word about evangelism. One more expression of the bride is evangelism. That is who and what this organism together does. And I want to emphasize, I know Judy and I may seem kind of far away. And let me tell you, we feel that distance. I'll just be candid with you. It is bone-achingly weary and lonely out there. And if people are praying, I know what it did out there in the streets of Seattle. And it will be no different in China. If we're successful in China, it's not because of any gift that I have. Some of you who've known me from childhood know that. It's God. God didn't send me to China or to other Asian countries because he saw, yeah, there's somebody who likes adventure, who's um, you know, creative, who likes to read or study or whatever, and so he's got these gifts, send him out there. It wasn't like that. There's people who are wealthier, people who are far smarter, people who are just naturally gifted with building relationships and conversation. I'm really not good at that. There's people with all kinds of these gifts, but they're busy doing things, and that's good. I'm not faulting that. Some of those people are pastors, and they need to be. And some of those businessmen are doing all kinds of good with their resources. And, and what's the difference is I'm there. 
I may not be best at anything. I may not even be good at anything, but I'm there. But if you will pray, that will make a difference. And that's true for everybody in this room too. Wherever you are, you're probably not best at anything. Maybe a couple of you are, I don't know. But most of us are just kind of normal people, you know? And I know sometimes in sort of young folks' days, it's like somebody's over here. But let me tell you, give you a few years, you get married, have a couple of kids, and time goes on, and that stuff just evaporates. It really isn't there anymore. We're all just people. And you are people, so go out and take your candle and take it to your brother and your sister and your mother and your father. And if you, as you are taking these footsteps, God takes you further, oh, praise His name. John Piper words it well, and so I'll quote him. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate. The purpose of missions isn't what the church is about. We're about worship. Norman led us to that place of worship in a most peculiarly extraordinary way today. I'm not sure if that'll ever go away in my heart. It's just there. Surprised by hope. There's a bonfire there that I had high expectations. I've known Brother Norm since I was this big, you know. But something more happened today. I hope it did in you as well. Missions is how worshipers are made. The purpose of missions is to make disciples of all nations, we could say. The promise is that the gospel shall be preached to all nations. And the price is that you'll be hated by all nations. That's just how it is. But don't be afraid of that. And I would call you, I would call you to uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. 13, 13, which says, Go out to Him, Jesus, outside the camp, bearing His reproach. You did that in Seattle. You weren't sure how it would go. For some of you, it didn't go that great. You know what? That's how it is sometimes. And you keep going anyway. You keep walking anyway. That didn't knock you down, did it? Praise God. What is it going to mean for you to go out of the camp bearing His reproach? What is it going to mean to you? I don't know, but once again, I'll say this. It probably is going to have something to do with all the nations. Because that seems to be the heart of God. He said, go. All nations. Does that mean you have to go to the far reaches of where, from wherever you live? I don't know. God guide you and tell you. I don't know what it means. That doesn't mean that you can't reach other nations many other ways also. It, but it probably does mean that if you fulfill this, you're going to reach other nations somehow. Somehow other nations are going to be a part of it. And so you might search your heart to see how that might be true. I want you to be equipped to finish strong. To finish strong. It's great to start well. It's vital to, to finish strong. As we look at the score chart of the Bible, we have people who were cut off early. Their lives were cut off like Samson, Absalom, Josiah, John the Baptist, James... Their lives were cut off early. We have people who finished poorly. People like Gideon, Eli, Saul, and Solomon. We have people who finished kind of so-so. I've put David, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah in, those, those in that realm. We have people who seem to, this is just my own perspective of it, they seem to finish well, like Abraham, Joseph, Joshua, Caleb, Daniel, Peter, Paul. Seems to me like they finished pretty well. Be a Joshua. Be a Caleb. How many people do you know named Joshua and Caleb? Quite a few? Interesting, isn't it? How many people, i got to look at my notes here, I'm sorry. How many people do you know named Shemua or Shaphat or Egal or Paltir, Gadiel or Gadi or Amiel or Sether or Nahabi or Jeuel? How many people do you know by those names? 
You don't? Who were those people? I know I probably didn't pronounce them right. I'm sorry, but... Either in the Bible somewhere. Yeah. They're the other ten spies. Joshua and Caleb. We know who they are. They, all these men started strong. All oh, They started strong. They were the spies. They were the chosen ones. Brave, courageous. Go into the land. Spy it out. See what they've got. Joshua and Caleb come back. And the others, oh, there's giants in the land. I don't think we can do it. I don't think I can go to Seattle. Oh, there's giants of fear out there. I'm afraid though something might get me. I don't know what, but something. I don't know. But Joshua and Caleb finished strong. Pum, coming back with their grapes. All these other names, <clears throat> I don't know what they are, didn't finish so strong. I think that's kind of sad. We don't name anybody after them, do we? I think <clears throat> you probably, everybody's probably heard of Billy Graham, His, right? Chuck Templeton, name ring a bell? Okay, the does ring a bell? Yeah, Chuck Templeton, so you know. Bron Clifford, is that name? No, not Brown Clifford. Okay. Well, see, all those three men, Billy Graham, and I have to look here, Chuck Templeton and Bron Clifford, so I can remember their names, they, they all preached together. In their young 20s, they were the fireballs of the gospel. Side by side, those men preached to, to huge, huge crowds. They had converts. They were the successful men of the day. They were all best of friends, but then something happened. Ten years later, only one man was left standing, and that was Billy Graham. Well, Chuck Templeton, he became an angry atheist. That's what happened. Old Bron Clifford, he left his work, he left his family, he left his job, he became an alcoholic, and he died all alone in a hotel room. How are you doing? All those men seemed to start well. What happened? Two out of three, I mean, fell. One man left standing. How are you going to do? I read the statistics and you come up with all kinds of stuff, but seven out of ten men looked at pornography last week. Women are not quite that high, but they're the same kind of thing. I think women have their own kind of pornography. It's probably setting their emotions on wrong things. I, I'm not here to pick on things, but I think of romance stories and things like that. What happens to a young woman's heart? I'm not sure that it's much different than a, than a young man who might be more visually oriented. How are we going to do? I surrender. You know, we could sing a song. I remember, well, I'll just, yeah. I remember, when, any school teachers in here? Oh, okay. Anybody ever uh, was a school teacher, has been? Okay. Well, quite a few of us are or have been school teachers. And so, I, that's good. You're going to relate to what I'm about to say. I was a school teacher once too, and I still remember over in the windowsill, I had a can and it said suggestions on it. And after school one day, I went over there, peeled it little off, and there was a piece of paper in there. Yeah, score. Pulled that thing out, opened it up, said, we're behind you, 98%. <laughs> I know they meant well, you know. I mean, where's the other 2%? I could really use it, you know. <laughs> 98%. What if we sang the song, 98% for Jesus, I surrender, 98, how does that, could somebody help me out, somebody's better with music, could we fit 98% in there? You don't, you don't think we can do it? Oh dear, this doesn't fit, does it? 98%. And one thing I think about is, David and Claire drank this cup, they drank it to the last drop. They didn't drink 98%. They drank it all. I wonder what happened. I know we could sing. Oh, I know how it fits. Let me think. The chorus would fit, wouldn't it? I surrender 98%. 
I surrender 98%. That's where I get hung up from there on. But anyway, what would happen if we would just maybe take a minute to say, Lord, just in case, I'm going to make sure you get the other 2% too. I surrender the other 2%. What is it going to mean to really surrender 98 plus 2%? Lord, you get it all. I lay my life on the altar. I wish some, if we had time, not clock, but I wish we could just set up a little altar up here and, and one by one we could come and just lay our body down on that altar. Say, Lord, you get it all. Whatever it costs, you get the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears and the blood and everything. It's all yours. My emotions, the desires of my heart, those visual things that attract me that should not, Lord, I give it to you. Lord, the ugly stuff I would like to hide from you. Oh, God, I'm really not like this. I just slipped, you know. And, and just say, Lord, <clears throat> take it away. Just from as far as the east is from the west, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. Lord, because I'm giving you 100%. In the last days, what's going to happen? I'm really thankful I get to skip a good chunk of, my, of what I'm doing here because... <laughs> Brother Norman covered it so perfectly. He did it better than I ever could have. And it's a huge relief to me because it's all the time that I got. And it's just right. But in the last days, I, one, a couple of things I might share with you. Luke 21, 26 says, In the last days, men's hearts will fail because of fear. Oh, perfect love casts out fear. Remember that feeling you might have struggled with yesterday that then you overcame and it wasn't there and you were surprised to find no fear there? You were surprised by something in your heart. You shared the gospel, and even if somebody said, Hey, you know, I'm really not interested, just leave me alone. I'm walking off. In your heart, the disappointment, the embarrassment, the rejection didn't really hurt. That surprised you? I don't know. Can you relate to that? I felt that. Maybe some of you felt that too. Just a couple of things I would like to say about this. We're in the last days. Time is short. I suggest that we quit being offended. Just don't bother with it. I don't think we have time left to be offended. You know, I was talking to my mom and dad, and, and I asked my dad, so, you know, 83 years old, how does this work out in marriage? You know, you're getting along. And he says, well, you know, he said, at our age, he said, we spent a good bit of our marriage trying to fix each other, but we kind of decided we really don't have time for that anymore, so we're just going to enjoy being married. <laughs> I went to my wife and said, you know what, let's do that too. <laughs> let's start early, you know. Why not start early? Just don't bother. You don't got time, you know. Just don't, don't waste time. There's better things to do. Forgive us this day our daily... Forgive, I'm sorry, forgive us this day as we forgive our debtors. Here's the thing I'm thinking of too. Lord, forgive me. Forgive. I didn't say forgive me, my dad. It does it. It says forgive us. That means forgive her as much as she offended me. Oh, make her pay a little bit, Lord. Make her, make her say I'm sorry. Make her, make her suffer a little, and then I'll, you know, I'll forgive her, but still make her hurt a little. You know? There's something in our hearts. Can we just clean that out so that we drink the whole cup down? There's no 2% as expecting an I'm sorry or anything like that. No, we're going to forgive before reconciliation. I think we find, and those of you who are involved in counseling may have experienced that Forgiveness must precede reconciliation. We'd all like reconciliation. Ideally, it all comes together, sometimes even at the same time. Sometimes you forgive and you never do get reconciliation. That can happen. But you still can forgive. And I would suggest that you seek both forgiveness and reconciliation, but you know what? Just get the forgiveness part right because that's the part that we're addressing in this prayer here. Love like you never loved before. Just open up the tubes and let it flow. There's some warnings in the Word about the last days. Take heed. Watch. Pray. 
of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels nor the Son, but the Father alone. The day is almost upon us. Therefore, watch. Be on the alert, for you don't know when the master of the house is coming. Mark 13.35 And what I say unto you all, I, what I say to you, I say to all, watch, watch. There's comfort for the last days. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. However the valley... I don't know. And I, I skipped the whole part about the end times. And I'm sure you probably saw that in your notes and all the different perspectives on that. But there's one thing I know. If we do have to go through some troubling times, and I don't know for sure, but if we do, there will be no know this. However deep and dark that valley is, when you feel the death shadow over you, and you're walking through the valley, when you come out in the sunshine on the other side, and you will, you're going to see He was with you all the way. That's God's truth. So the question, are you ready? The torch has been carried for 2,000 years. It's in your hand today. You are the new rising generation of believers. It's been handed to you. What are you going to do with it? It's been carried by faithful men and women of old. And Norm, when you sit here and you're surrounded by this group of people sing, singing songs, faith of our fathers, I don't know how it feels to you, but you probably think back in your father. You probably think a generation's gone on that we never knew. But I'm telling you, there is so much hope in seeing your faithfulness. Surprised by hope. Where did this thing come from? When I see a godly man, and I, I'm avoiding saying older man, but I, I guess you kind of are, you know? I guess you qualify. And I'm surprised by hope. What is this thing? He's done it. I was talking to my dad, and my dad's not... He, he doesn't just always express himself in, um, in, in real flowery sorts of ways. And I, but I, he said these words to me. He said, just kind of out of the blue one day, kind of uncharacteristic for him. He says, Mark, when you get here, you're going to know something. I walked here also. And there's something in my heart that melted at that and took comfort in that. Because see, my parents are getting old. They're slowing down a little bit. Stuff hurts. Stuff isn't working right. They're looking at, you know, they're looking ahead a little bit. And I know when I get there, they've been there. They walk that valley. And it'll be okay. I was surprised by hope when I heard my father say those words. When I see men like Norm, who comes here and at the advanced, aged, 75 years old, comes and can teach with vigor and enthusiasm and strength and joy and a message like King of Kings and Lord of Lords at a Bible school like this, I'm surprised by hope. Isaiah 40.21 Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Hath you not understood from the foundations of the earth? I have a question for you. The Gospel. The message, whether it's the heavens declaring the glory of God. Have you heard? Have you heard? You've heard. Good. Isaiah 40.28 Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no search of His understanding. Have you heard that? Have you heard that He's not going to faint on you? Have you heard that His understanding is awesome and beyond comprehension? Oh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth forth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the world, all the earth, and the words to the end of the world. Revelations 22.17 The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let him that heareth 
say come. You said you've heard. What are you going to do? You come and you're going to say to others, come. come. The Spirit called you and says, come. You came. You heard. The Spirit says, come. And the, who else says, come? That's right. The bride, the church says, come. What are you going to do? The rest of your life? I have traveled in a lot of countries and there's a cry that comes among the new nascent churches. I mean the newly emerging brand new churches that are coming out of nothing. They're coming out of Buddhism, atheism, Taoism, Hinduism, nothingness, folk religion, magic, all kinds of stuff they're coming out of. And there's this brand new church and they're just figuring it out for the first time. And there's one cry I hear wherever we go, and that is, when are you going to come back? Oh, well, we're busy. You know, we got, could somebody else come? I don't know. I still remember, and I don't like to belabor emotional stuff, but I guess there's nothing wrong with a little of it. And I just remember being at an orphanage one time, Mount Cinnabung was blowing up right below Aceh. Some of you maybe even been to Aceh in Indonesia, northern Indonesia. And earthquakes and the place is falling down. And right outside is this refugee camp. And people sitting there, beetle nut juice dripping down their chins. And latrines wide out in the open. And I don't have to eat or drink. And here's this orphanage. And there's this pastor working there. We're at this orphanage. And the walls are cracked. And there's mold growing. And the beds are broken down. And... It wasn't safe. I mean, the toothbrushes were sitting by the toilet, which is actually just a hole in the ground. And I still remember asking the pastor, I said, okay, I'm starting to think of faces like yours, thinking, what, what would help? You know, who could, what could we do? Money, you know. I mean, maybe we could come up with 50000 to kind of fix this place up or something. He says, mm, we don't have time for that. Don't worry. He says, we have beds. We have a roof. And he says, we don't need money. He says, we just need a pair of arms. Can somebody hold an orphan? That's what they need. And I think, who in here has got a pair of arms, you know? Can you hold an orphan? The harvest is great. The fields are white. It's a big world out there. There's a lot of hurting, needy people. Those little children are trafficked children. They're out there in their streets and their parents are selling the kids on the street. And I'll tell you, it is absolutely sickening. And those little children are desperate to escape and they have no place to go. And will somebody just hold them and love them but protect them and feed them and give them a chance? And it is desperately, desperately hard given the situation because the government is Muslim and they don't like Christians and so they will never license them to do things. It's awkward and it's very, very difficult. So it might sound easy to go to an orphanage, but it's going to take commitment. It's probably going to take sacrifice. If you're going to do something like that, you're going to have to lay your life down. This isn't just a little summer missions trip. It's going to take more than that if you're going to help a place like that. You're going to have to dig in and get dirty, and it's going to be hard, and it might take years. It might take a lot of preparation. This isn't just a neighborhood orphanage. It's rugged, and it's rough, and it's gut-wrenching, and it's glorious. There's the need. There's the cry of the lost. Come. There's the command of Jesus. Go. There's the act of obedience. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah 6.8, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Have you got the guts to say that? I'd like to ask you to say that, and I'm not going to ask you to say that right now, because I want to make sure if you say such a thing, you've really thought it through, and you mean it deep, deep in your heart. I do not want an emotional-based decision. I want a spirit-led decision in your heart, in your life. Here am I, send me, in the next words, 
go, go and tell them, tell this people, I think it says. But I would like to ask you to make this commitment. Would you say this with me? Your kingdom come. Can you say it with me? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know the will of God. You know what His will is in heaven. You know what His heart is. You know what He's asked you to do. Think about the words of that commitment. If it's really deep and true in your heart, then may the Word become flesh. Are you ready? Will you go? Will you go and say come? Will you be found working, a faithful worker, ready with your garments spotless and your lamps filled and diligently doing the will of the groom? And so when He comes and you hear the shout and you hear the on the door, you're ready. You're surprised by hope. There is joy. There is glory. And you can go back to His house in true and complete unveiled communion for eternity back in His house. And the wedding will be complete.